Lord, thank you so much for this morning. Already our hearts are worn by your presence, God. And already our hearts are moved, God. We just celebrate this time of Christmas, acknowledging you. Even, God, I just love it. We can sing a Christmas hymn and worship you. Because that's what the season is about. And we continue to worship you, Lord, not just in music, but with our attention to your word. So we ask, God, that you bless this time, that you speak to us, that your Holy Spirit will come and anoint it. Fill us now. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. There are a number of protected species of birds. And a man was in court for actually eating one. A California condor. The judge is in court and the judge was there and asked him, What gave you the license to eat an endangered species? Don't you know that you are facing a 10-year sentence? Well, the man replied and pleaded with the judge by saying, Judge, I was lost in the forest for three days and three nights with no food when I stumbled upon this large bird. So with the little strength I had, I took a rock and struck it dead. And I cooked the bird and ate it. So, you know, I was able to survive another three days until I was rescued. Judge, this man said, I would not be here today if it had not been that I ate that protected endangered bird. Well, the judge, after hearing this, was very moved by his story. So, you know what he did? He dismissed the case and let him go. Well, as they were leaving the courtroom... The judge turned to the man and said, you know, I'm just curious. What does a condor really taste like? The man thought for a second and said, well, it's a cross between bald eagle and spotted owl. (laughs) Maybe he really thought he had the license to do that. Well, as we continue in our study through the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul tackles this issue that is dividing the Corinthian believers. The church is getting dividing over this, and it's over eating the meat offered to idols. Some are saying, hey, it's okay. Uh, and some, they have the license while others are saying it's not okay and they're limiting themselves, restricting themselves. But Paul brings in something they never thought of and that is the importance of showing love. And, it, and really it poses this question to us. What will it be? Limit, license, or love? And that's the title of our message this morning. Limit, license, or love? Question mark. We're going to be studying 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Now we're going to be going through the whole chapter from verse 1 through 13 this morning. So 1 Corinthians 8. And I've divided this chapter into three parts and this is our outline. Number one, the compassion. Number two, the comprehension. And number three, the conscience. So let's begin here with limit, license, or love. 1 Corinthians 8. Number one in our outline will be the compassion, the compassion. First Corinthians 8. Take a look with me now, and we're going to just take the very first part of verse 1. It reads, Now concerning things offered to idols. We'll stop right there. We begin with the, the Apostle Paul now. He's moving on right from his, his, his teaching, his instruction, his answering the questions about singleness and marriage that we saw in the last chapter. 
Well, there was another question that was sent to Paul by the Corinthian believers in that letter. And so now Paul tackles this dividing issue. So he writes, okay, now we're going to go on concerning the things. Concerning what things? Well, we're going to see in this chapter, it's regarding the eating of food or meat that's been offered to idols. That's pagan idols like in the pagan temple. So he says concerning these things, the food, the meat that's been offered to idols. Paul addresses this issue basically. Can a Christian eat meat that has been sacrificed to Idols. It's a good question. They're dividing over this. Now, the meat that was offered in the pagan temple was actually split into three portions. The first portion was burned on the altar, on the pagan altar. And usually it was the fat part of the meat. So it created this smoke and it was like the people's worship and prayers going up to their idol, their God. There was a second portion of the meat that went to the 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 worshiper himself who brought the meat to sacrifice. Uh, he could then take home that second portion and he can eat it themselves. It was, it, was, it, was, it was part of what they did. And then there was a third portion that actually went to the pagan priest there who he could eat it for himself, his family too, or he can raise money with it. He could sell it in the temple market. Or he can sell it to, say, a local restaurant. And they would grab that meat. And, and they would use that to serve food to the community. Now, these choice cuts were not only cheaper because of all this. But they were considered blessed as well. See, it was believed that evil spirits did attach themselves to the meat and enter a person through eating that food. So these this pagan practice, they believed to offer it, uh, the meat would appease the gods and cleanse the meat, making it blessed, making it grade A, making it prime rib. So if you understand the background there and what's going on, this created a dilemma Some believers felt, you know, it's okay, no problem, you know. I want to save a few bucks, you know, it's a little cheaper, but it's good meat. And, you know, we have freedom in Christ, yeah, all things are lawful. Hey, it's okay before the Lord, it's all right. They had no problem eating lunch, lunch, like over there at Zeus's Temple Burgers, yeah, or whatever the place would be. But... Other believers were, were just taken back. They were appalled. They're like, oh, how could you eat something offered to eat idols? And so they were stumbled by the other Christian guys who were just ah, munching on their burger. How could you do that? You know where that came from. These believers who felt like it's not okay, they would never even go to say like a friend or family member who's barbecuing something at a party. They're like, no, I'm not going to, because that was temple meat. I'm not going to partake of that barbecue. So this hot debate was causing division in the church. So how does Paul handle this? How, how is he going to approach this? You know, what's very interesting is what we see in the rest of verse 1. It's interesting. He begins with this. Look at the rest of verse 1. He says, We know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. Now, most commentators believe Paul, Paul is quoting this letter from the Corinthian believers that we don't have, but it was, it, it, he's, a, he's referring to that. And when he says, We 
all have knowledge. He's saying, oh, kind of quoting from their letter that, well, we have knowledge. And so here Paul is like saying, hey, it's like you said. Yeah, we know that God has given us wisdom and knowledge, just like what you guys are talking about, right? It's the Holy Spirit who teaches us. It's the Holy Spirit who reveals things to us. It's all good. We have that knowledge. You have that knowledge. So it's good. You have that knowledge. It's good to know to stay away from evil. Yeah, not eat the meat. And it's good. You know, you have that knowledge. You know your liberty in Christ Jesus. You know that. They have that knowledge. Remember Paul wrote back in 1 Corinthians 1.5, you were enriched in everything he, he wrote. By him in all utterance, utterance and all knowledge so so they were akamai to those things yeah they 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 know they know this you know god is giving you spiritual knowledge hey hey yeah it's like you said that's good but then he says this but watch out you guys we all have knowledge yeah yeah but watch out he says what next he says knowledge puffs up in other words just knowledge of these things can make you big-headed about what you think you know so you become arrogant with what you know now think about this paul saying hey you guys have knowledge you have god's knowledge i mean even though it's spiritual knowledge that god is giving you good stuff now you can still take that and puff up your pride One pastor said the most dangerous person in the church is the one who knows just enough to think he knows it all. (laughs) I like that. But on the other hand, Paul says knowledge puffs up. But on the other hand, you know what? Love edifies. That's what he says next here in verse 1. Right? Love, agape, love edifies. Agape lifts up. Agape encourages. Agape helps. Agape builds up. Agape doesn't tear down. It does not embarrass the person. It does not judge the person. Love edifies. Love actually brings the opposite. It's more of a concern for the other person. So, so there's this humbleness. You know, there's this, there's this care for the other person. So it's not about pride coming in. I know. But it's more about, hey, I want to help you with this. It's, it's a different approach, you can say. I was thinking about, remember how in Luke chapter 10, uh, Jesus told of the man who was robbed, beaten, left for dead on the side of the road. Remember this Pharisee came walking by and he was on his way to Jerusalem there on that road. And he saw that man lying on the side of the road. Now many believe that that was a fellow Jew. But here's a man on the side of the road, left for dead, looking like he's dead. And you know what he did? Rather than helping him, he went to the other side of the road and walked past. Why? Because he's a Pharisee. They're not supposed to touch dead bodies. He's probably dead. I don't want to mess with this. So he walked on by because of his rules, because of what his restrictions and limits and all. Well, then Jesus said, then this Levite came. Yeah, one of the servants in the temple also. And he saw that same man on the side of the road, left for dead, all beaten up, bloody and everything. And what did he do? He went to the other side of the road and went by. Same thing. Oh, I don't want to defile myself. I cannot defile myself, right? Then who came? A good, what? Samaritan, right? We know that, right? We know that story. The good Samaritan came. The Samaritans were hated by the Jews. The Samaritans were like, they were half Jew, half Gentile, so they didn't like them. They were dirty. They were no good. What did the good Samaritan do? Looking at this Jew, half dead, beaten up. He stopped. He cared for him. He bandaged him up. He even took him with him and checked him into this hotel so he can recover. Paid for the hotel. Paid for everything. This end. 
This good Samaritan did that. Now we know the story. But you know what's interesting to me? Jesus then asked, he said in Luke 10, 36, which of these three proved to be a neighbor to this beaten man? Well, the Pharisee was talking. He answered this, the one who showed mercy. See, the idea, if you're puffed up with knowledge, yeah, you don't approach with mercy. Yeah, You approach more, hey, I know, I know. There's no mercy, there's no grace, there's no love at all. So Paul goes, hey, you guys, we all know, we get this knowledge, right? But before we deal with the issue, understand your knowledge, what God has told you, what God has revealed to you, it, it, it can puff you up. But guess what? Love edifies. Now he adds this in verse 2. And if anyone thinks that he knows anything, he knows nothing yet as he ought to know. What's Paul saying here? Paul's saying, hey, look, if you think you know, then you know what? You actually know nothing. Yeah? I know. I get it. I got it. I know everything. And Paul said, hey, if you think you actually get them, you know get them. Yeah? You don't know any, nothing. Nothing. You don't know anything. You're talking, talking like that actually proves that you don't really know. For, he says, yet as he ought to know. For you ought to know, that's what he's saying, that no one knows everything. No one is an expert here on this. Yeah. See, the one who really knows the truth is fully aware of how much you don't know. Yeah. I don't know about you. As I learned, as I studied the Bible, I'm like, whoa, there's a lot here that I don't know. As I go deeper and I learn more. Yeah, I learn and I understand. But then there's more. There's even more. And I realize, oh, you know what? When you really know, you see that you really don't know. Yeah. And there's so much there. So one who talks like he knows only shows he doesn't. Or else he wouldn't push himself like that. Right? He wouldn't puff himself up like he knows. A.J. Jacobs read every page of the Encyclopedia Britannica. Can you believe that? 32 volumes, 33,000 pages, 44 million words. And it took him a year and 55 days to read the whole set of that encyclopedia. Well, he ended up on the show, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? How'd he do? Well, you know what? He lost at the $32,000 question when he didn't remember what, I can't even pronounce it, erythrocyte means. It means red blood cells. He walked away with only $1,000. And then you know what he did? He wrote a book that was called The (laughs) Know-It-All. The Know-It-All really doesn't know it all. That's what Paul is saying. Verse 3. Then he goes on. But if anyone loves God, this one is known by him. Now it seems like Paul's kind of switching gears. What, what are you saying here, Paul? Well, he, he's kind of saying this. Well, look at it this way, you guys. Let me help you understand this, what I'm trying to say. Paul's like, look at it this way. If a believer shows that he loves God, right? That you, you see a, a person, they really love God. Then you know what? He knows God. That's what Paul is saying. Because God is, uh, he's known by God. In other words, he has this relationship with God and God loves him and he's known by this love. So Paul's like, see, you can know doctrine, but not know God. But if you love God, then you really know God. Yeah, you can say, oh yeah, I know God. You have all this doctrine. You have all this knowledge of the Bible. 
But if you, there's no love for God, then it's like, do you really know God? Right? Because our relationship with God is based on that love. Someone said, show me a person who has right knowledge of God and I'll show you a person who expresses that with love towards God. So you understand what he's saying here, yeah? If uh, you see a person, they really love God, then you know that person loves God. I mean, knows God. So Paul is leading to this point. A person who really knows will come with that balance of knowledge and love. A person who really knows will come with that balance of love. And they really know God's truth. They really have God. They really heard from God. You know what? They're going to come with this balance of knowledge and love. Just like he said, if someone really loves God, you know he knows God. Yeah? Because you could know God and not have that love and not really know God. Did you follow that? (laughs) I didn't. (laughs) Well, anyway, a person who really knows will come with that balance of knowledge and love remember ephesians four fifteen says speak the truth in what love right it's both things the truth and love are together if it's really god in in what you say the knowledge that you have in your giving will come with guess what love Knowledge puffs up, but you know what? Love edifies. There's a balance there that's going on. How about you this morning? Do you come across as that know-it-all, you know? Always correcting, always knowing what to say, always giving that advice, always that coach, always the one, you know, pushing like, this is it, this is what it is. I know more than you. I, I'm going to tell you what to do. Hey, and you know, God told me this. And, and you know what, Paul said, you... you, you you better watch out because knowledge puffs up and you may think you're mature, but if there's no love, then what? You really don't know. You really don't know and you're not. It's been well said, right? Love without truth is hypocrisy, but truth without love is brutality. Are you one of those who always see the bad in others? Always, always critical, always saying, telling them how they can do something better or do this better. Because you know, yeah? You know what? You're coming across with, across as this, oh, know it all. There's no love. There's no compassion. It's always talking down. It's always judging. Where's the love? Where's the compassion there? And then what happens when they don't agree with you? Oh, you don't know. I know, but you don't know. And you get all upset. Is that love? Is that really trying to help? You know? Love edifies. Love tries to work it out. Agape helps, builds, doesn't tear down. You know what? Even if they are wrong in their thinking and what they know, Paul is saying we should what? Love. Love with this knowledge. Because think about this way. God has given us some spiritual knowledge or insight and wisdom, whatever that is. Yeah? And it comes from God. And God is love. And God has this balance of speaking the truth and love. And it's in His Word. And He wants us to do it. So shouldn't it come out that way too? Yeah? Shouldn't it come out with that balance? That's, this is what Paul is saying in, in laying right now as a foundation for us before he goes on. A man who headed a rescue mission for 40 years was asked why did he spend his whole life working with dirty, unkept, profane, drunken derelicts. Well, then, you know, what? he shared his testimony that he first came to that same mission for a bowl of chili, heard the gospel, and was saved. So now, 
this head of this mission said, all I am doing is giving back to others a little of the love God has shown me. I love that. That's that balance. Yeah. That's that balance. You know, God showed me love. So, and I didn't know. And I was in sin or I was doing things wrong. But you know, He loved me. And He showed me where I was going wrong. And, and, and that's how I got saved. So shouldn't we be doing the same thing? That's what Paul is saying. Who are we to think others don't deserve the love that we even receive? That's the mindset. So Paul leading to this point here in this, just, just in this first verse, a per, or first few verses, a person who really knows will come with that balance of knowledge and love. Well, let's move on here now to number two in our outline, the comprehension. The comprehension. We've seen the compassion that we should have. And then now we come to number two, the comprehension. Look at verse four. Therefore, concerning the eating of things offered to idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world and that there is no other God but one. Okay, so Paul's saying, therefore, okay, you know, having established first, you know what he's saying, that each side, if you think it's okay, if you think it's not okay, each side, you know, having established first, that each side must approach your knowledge balanced with love for each other, Paul goes on, he says, therefore, you know, concerning this stuff about eating these, the meat offered to idols, let, let's talk about this now. Let's talk about this. So we have this foundation of compassion. Let's go on. Now, to me, Paul in this section is first talking to those who say, it's not okay to eat the meat. I limit what I do. I restrict that because that's not right. So to me, Paul is talking to these guys right now that it's not okay to eat meat. Now, if you think about it, uh, worshiping idols is wrong, right? I mean, Paul's going to speak of it later when we get to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 20, which he says, They sacrifice the Gentiles, these pagans, sacrifice to demons and not to God. And I do not want you to have fellowship with demons. So when they go into the temple, he's saying, and they're worshiping the idols, giving the sacrifice. You know what's behind the idols is demons, actually. That's what he's saying. So it's true. Yeah, it's not of God. Now we understand that. So why eat anything that has been offered to them? Paul's like, yeah. Yeah, it's okay. It's okay not to eat that meat. But understand, he's, this is what he's getting to. Understand there's those who will see it another way. They'll see it in a different way. For, and he goes on here, right? He says, for we know that an idol is nothing. Here in verse 4. Some are see it a different way. Now understand, you guys are saying, hey, no, no, you don't need it. Well, understand, right? We know, we all know this, that an idol is nothing. It's not really a God that we come to, right? Demons are behind. They're nothing. Yeah. They're, it's, it's really not a God that you're trying to appease, that you're trying to do something to sacrifice in this ritual and they'll do something for you. No, 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 no. Idol is nothing in this world. And we know that there is what? No other God but one. There's only one God. Amen? So he's saying there's no such thing as an idol and some God or force behind, you know, that you're appeasing. No. These things aren't really real. They are just the imagination of man. 
There's only one true God. We all know that. That's what he's appealing to. Psalm 115, 4 through 7 says that their idols are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. They have mouths, but they do not speak. Eyes they have, but they do not see. They have ears, but they do not hear. Noses they have, but they do not smell. They have hands, but they do not handle. Feet they have, but they do not walk. Nor do they mutter through their throat. Idols are nothing, Paul is saying. And then verse 5, he says, For even if there are so-called gods. What he's saying, even if they call him God, so-called. Yeah, even if they even, they look at it that way, whether in heaven or on earth, as there are many gods and, and many lords. He's saying this, as you know, there are so many, you know, people say there's these different many gods there and they worship these guys. We know that. We understand, you know, but, and, and we, we know they're nothing. The city of Corinth was known for its many temples, many worship of, of many gods. You know, the god of the air, the god of the water, the god of, you know, the ocean, the land, the god of the trees, the god of the birds, the god of the animals. All There's so many different gods. So Paul says, for, you know, they call them different gods, you know, all over heaven and earth, sky, stars, everything. And there's many Many, they say, that's a God, that's a God, that's a Lord, you know. Well, th- there's a lot like that. You know, it's interesting. They even had a temple for all the gods. This is for all the gods. You know why? Just in case, it was a catch-all, just in case they had forgotten or missed one of them. So Paul's like, you know what the, the world thinks. That's what he's trying to put forth here. You know that the world thinks there are many, many gods, like even you did once. I remember years ago in Bangkok, uh, we were sightseeing at the end of our mission trip in Thailand, and we happened uh, upon this temple. Uh, I forget if it was part of the uh, the king's grounds. Uh, I don't remember, right? Something like that, right, Stephen? And it was kind of a tourist thing, and there's this temple, and it was all ornate and everything, and you know, uh, in, in that way. I remember walking, and 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 then yeah, you know, there's they're telling us, oh, there's a Buddha in there, and thinking, and it's this huge thing, yeah. And I remember walking up, we're passing by the door, and I peeked in. The thing's only about this big. It was uh, it was such a letdown, you know, because you see in pictures in other places where the Buddha's like giant, you know. And I thought, oh, we're here, oh, we'll just peek in. We didn't go in, but you know, take it. But it's only this big, this big, and seems like to me it's a little anti-climatic to the Buddha worshippers there. That what's that, you know, <laughs> this little gold thing, huh? Hey, but the truth is, nobody's there, right? Nobody's home. <laughs> it's nothing but gold. A gold statue. It, it's an idol. It's, it's not a God. And that's what Paul's saying. Verse 6. Yet for us, believers, there is one God, the Father, of whom all things, like all things ex- exist, and we, for Him, we live for Him. And there's one Lord, Jesus. Yeah, the, on the previous verse was little, but we have one Lord Jesus Christ to whom are all things, right? Everything exists through Christ. And through Him we live. For, so for us believers, we know better. There's one God, there's a Father, there's one Lord Jesus. We know all things exist because of God. All believers exist because of Jesus, the Lord Jesus, because of His salvation. We know that. Paul's saying, believers, we know we worship the one true Creator, God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gives believers eternal life. B. Barton said he is not himself part of the cosmos, talking about God. He's not just some another God. But, Barton says, 
He is the source of everything created. He's God, this one God. This is the one we worship. So Paul's bringing us to this point, and he's bringing the mindset. Remember, the first is to have compassion, but now have this comprehension. Idols are really nothing. So eating offered meat is nothing. And if one eats the meat, don't make it something. That's what he's saying. Remember, the foundation is compassion, but have this comprehension. If you, if you feel like, no, you shouldn't eat the meat, that's okay. It's not okay. That's fine. But understand against your brother who eats it. Idols are nothing, so eating offered meat is nothing. And if one eats the meat, don't make it something. Back in 2011, there was talk that the butterball turkey was being slaughtered and the article said, according to Islamic halal standards. That means the blood is drained out and it's, you know, all the part, the neck cut and all that stuff uh, is drained out while they're saying, uh, Bismillah Allah Akbar, which is in the name of Allah, the greatest. And I think it's this idea they're trying to appeal to, to Muslims and they'll buy their turkey and, and, you know, have Thanksgiving with that. So basically, the thought was that turkey was blessed for Islamic worshipers. So, does it mean, if last Thanksgiving you ate one of those butterball turkeys that you're going to hell now? Yeah? That you're bad? That you've sinned bad before the Lord? Is that what that means? You know what Paul is saying? Hey, remember... Idols, things are nothing. Offered to me, it's nothing. If one eats the meat, don't make it something. The thing is, it's just food, right? It's just food. Jesus said in Mark 7, 18 and 19, Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not in his heart, but his stomach and is expelled? You know what, you know what he means by expelled? Just go to the bathroom, yeah? It's nothing. And then, then Jesus says, thus, or, or the Mark said, thus he declared, all foods are clean. It's not about the food, right? The Pharisees are tripping on food, yeah? Washing their hands and make sure they eat whatever, yeah? And remember, uh, the Lord changed that one to Peter. Hey, eat. It's all okay. It's okay. Eat. No, Lord, no, no. Eat. You can eat. No worries. It's not about the food. Matter of fact, Jesus said, you know what? It's what comes out of the heart. That's the issue, right? So you're, Paul is saying, look, idols are really nothing. Eating offered meat is nothing. And if someone decides to eat the meat, don't make it something. Don't hold your limits, your restrictions over those who do eat in judgment. That's what he's saying. It's all right if for you, you don't feel comfortable. That's okay. But in love, understand why the other person wants to eat. And I think we have to understand this because there's a lot of issues, you know, in, in our Christian circles, you know, about this or that. Can we do that? Can we not do that? Or this company does this, so don't do that. You know, don't. And, and we all make our decisions. There's black and white things in the Bible that are straight. And there's these gray areas like, well, what, what, what do we do? It, it, hadn't, it hasn't been specifically addressed. And so we, we kind of have to work through these issues. But the main thing is, First have the compassion and now have the comprehension. Yeah. Understand why 
that other person feels that way and they're doing it, then you don't accept that. That's, that's their conviction. You have yours. Yeah? So love each other. Don't divide over it. Don't judge them. Don't look down upon them. Yeah. Just because they don't do it like you do. And we as human beings do that, don't we? Because we think we're right. We think we get them. And then we have that knowledge and, and they don't do it that way. Then you're wrong. Right? You're wrong. Well, Paul's going to reveal a little more in the next section. And let's move on to there. Number three, the conscience. The conscience. So we see the compassion that we all have to have. The comprehension for those who say, no, you can't eat. And now number three, the conscience. The conscience. Verse seven. This is our last section. Now, Paul goes on and says, however, there is not in everyone that knowledge. For some with consciousness of the idol, until now eat it as a thing offered to an idol and their conscience being weak is defiled okay let me remind you after laying down that uh, foundation that each side must approach yeah this whole issue each approach with your knowledge what you think what god has given you balance with love for each other right and he, and he told the guys that it's not okay. Hey, comprehend the reality of ideas and love on them. Hey, understand where they're coming from. Well, here Paul talks to those who say it's okay to eat the meat. He's addressing these guys now. He's going to the other side. He's, he's talking to those guys say, hey, we have freedom. We have license. We have liberty to eat the meat. We can eat the meat. I'm okay with that. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 6.12, remember we studied that all things are lawful for me. Uh, yeah, it's alright, it's okay. But he did say, but all things are not helpful. Yeah. So Paul writes, however, in verse 7, there's not in everyone that knowledge. Or, or not all believers really see it this way, that they have license yeah, to be able to freely eat the offered meat. Why is that? Well, he says, for some with consciousness of the idol. Now, now the New King James here is a little hard in the translation, but I like the ESV. It, it translated it this way, through formal, former association with idols. I like that. See, they're still kind of, you know, seeing that meat offered to idols through their old life, what they used to do. So, see, because of that past life before Christ, to eat the offered meat goes against the conscience because their conscience is weak, they're spiritually weak. And it defiles, it goes against, it's like it's, it's, it's no, violating their conscience. So they're sensitive to this meat that was offered because of their life before Christ. Jesus. They are still in that place in their walk where it's hard to emotionally and mentally break from the past. That's what Paul is saying. That's the idea. You could, you can imagine. Remember the city of Corinth was a, a very, very wicked city, right? Sexual immorality all over. The temple priests were prostitutes and having sex and partying and having orgies. That was how you worship, right? That was the idea of this city. Remember, if you, if you, it was a term they used, like, I, I went and Corinthized, right? I went and slept with a, a temple prostitute there. And they would use, that's how wicked the city are. So you can imagine some of the Christian, new, new Christians, believers come to the Lord. You know what? They're like, 
looking at the meat, it brings them back to that old life. The association with this meat offered to the idol in the temple, what they used to do, it just brings them back and they're going to feel guilty and they're going to feel, this is wrong. This is my old life. How, how can I, I? I can't do that, right? Verse 8. Paul adds this, but food does not commend us to God, for neither we eat, uh, neither if we eat are we the better, nor if we do eat, do not eat are we the worst. So he goes on here. He's, he's, he's like, hey, understand where they are coming from. Yeah, they have their conscience, uh, the past, it's associating the meat and it's hard for them. And you guys know. He's saying, hey, you guys know that eating the food, right? It's nothing. And what he's saying is eating the food does not commend. It's like it doesn't win any, any approval points toward God. He says, whether we eat, we're none the better. Nor if we do not eat, we're none the worse, he's saying. He's saying just because you may be able to eat that meat, it doesn't mean that you're spiritually better or, or in this higher level. That's what he's saying. Philip said, God is far more concerned as to whether or not one has a pure heart than whether or not the roast beef he had for supper came from an idol temple. Paul's like, hey, don't don't you use this basically against those who say, I'm not going to eat meat. So remember, the first is to have compassion. Paul lays that foundation. Now, as he's speaking to those guys, say, hey, it's okay to eat. Paul's saying, look, you guys who are okay eating meat, don't treat those who can't because of their conscience as less than spiritual. That's what he's coming to them with. With this foundation of love, we're trying to help each other build up. You guys who are okay eating the meat, don't treat those who can't because of their conscience, where they stay, you know, as less than spiritual than you. Don't do that. Years ago, I was invited to eat with some pastors from a certain denomination. And while I was at this evangelism conference, uh, we sat, they invited me to sit with the pastors, yeah. And uh, they're all, I was the only one, uh, I don't know, crazy, but I was the only one from Calvary Chapel. And so we sat at the table, I was with them, there's round table, and there's, I forget, like five or six of us. And, and we're waiting, we ordered our food, waiting for the food to come. And you know what, they started talking about their degrees, their seminary degrees. They're going one by one. Yeah, I have this. I have this. You know, whatever, uh, whatever the degrees, the theological degrees, and MA and this and that, and all this stuff. And they're all going around talking. Then they asked me, "Hey, so Pastor Rick, where did you go to school?" And I'm like, "Oh, uh, I, I didn't go seminary." You know. And inside, I was, I was, I was thinking, I'll just mess them up. Say, well, I went to the school of the Holy Spirit. Did you? You know, but I, but I didn't, I, you know, but you know what? I just felt like this small. Yeah. I felt like this small. Like they were these spiritual jolly green giants compared to me. Paul's saying, hey, just cause you guys are okay. You know what? Don't treat those who can't because of their own conscience as less than Spiritual, right? You eating the meat doesn't make you any better. And if you don't eat it, it doesn't make you any worse. It it doesn't at all. Listen, is that how you make others feel? Mr. Spiritual, yeah? Mr. I got it all. Mr. Mr. I heard from God. And when you speak, you make everyone feel this small. Is that really love or is that really pride? 
Maybe you can handle things. And you think, yeah, I can handle that. No problem. But then these guys are weaklings, yeah? These guys, hey, uh, they're so immature. But you know, you're the one acting immature by not loving them, making them feel that small. Well, Paul goes on here in verse 9, 1 Corinthians 8, verse 9. He says, but beware lest somehow this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to those who are weak. So Paul adds something here. In addition to not treating them bad just because it went in their conscience, they're not going to, they don't like eat the meat. He's saying, beware, be careful now that your liberty, your freedom, your license in eating that meat doesn't become this stumbling block to them. You know, don't let your license to eat me cause another believer to sin. Well, what do you mean, Paul? What are you saying? Well, look at verse 10 and 11. He says, for, let me, let you, let me uh, show you this. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will not the conscience of him who is weak be emboldened to eat those things offered to idols? And because, verse 11, of your knowledge, shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died. Okay. He's saying if that weaker believer in this situation who is not okay with eating the meat that has been offered to idols sees you now, the stronger believer in this issue who has this knowledge like, well, the, you know, this guy, oh, I look up to him, you know, he, 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 he's okay with that. Hey, he's okay to eat that meat munching on that temple burger, yeah, over there. You know, and, and he says, okay, won't he be emboldened or encouraged to eat the meat? Thus going against his own conscience, which is keeping him from going back into the old life. In other words, the younger or that weaker in the Lord sees, sees the stronger in the Lord do something. And that, that, that weaker is going to say, hey, it must be okay then, yeah. God must must say it's okay. And then he goes and eats. And perhaps what he eats, it then brings him back to that old place, to the old associates who just drag him back into the old life. Then Paul in verse 11 says, Hey, just because you held to that knowledge, yeah, I know, I'm better, yeah, that you're free to and okay to eat the meat, shall the weaker brother perish, be spiritually ruined? This one Jesus died for. I mean, is it really, Paul saying, this is the idea. Is it really that important for you to hold to your license that it would affect your brother like that? John MacArthur says, we cause that person to sin by leading him into a situation he cannot handle. Verse 12, Paul then says, but when you thus sin against a brother and wound their weak conscience... You sin against Christ. He's saying, but, you know, when you lead that brother to wound or or go against his own conscience, you know, you sin against them. And not only that, you also sin against Jesus. You go against with what Jesus has done in his life and what Jesus is doing in his life. We got to keep in mind how precious this weaker believer is and whatever you do to them. And it can be done against Jesus. Remember Matthew twenty-five forty. Jesus says, Surely I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of my brethren, of these my brethren, you did it to what? Me. 
Last verse this morning. Therefore, Paul says, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never again eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble or sin. I love that. In other words, Paul's like, if eating that meat stumbles my brother into sin, then you know, I'm never going to eat it. I'm not going to do that to him. That's more important to me than, hey, I'm free to eat the meat. I love Zeus's temple burgers. Yeah. Oh, no, I'm going to, I'm never going to eat that meat. So not to ever stumble another believer ever again. And what is that? Love, right? That's compassion. Since your license can confuse a weaker believer to sin, it's better to not eat that meat at all. That's what Paul is saying. Think about it this way. You will never hand the kitchen knife to a small child, right? And you say, hey, take this knife. I got mine. Let's cut carrots together, right? I mean, you're not going to give that to a little three-year-old. Okay, daddy. Uh, daddy, there's some red stuff, red liquid, right? Yeah, you're not going to do that. They're not mature enough, right? They're, they can't handle a sharp knife. Well, it's the same idea. You do not lead a weaker believer into something he can't handle. Maybe later, maybe he'll be okay. Maybe when he's more mature in the Lord and stronger and he's grown. But there's too much association right now. There's too much from the past in this. So you see... Paul saying, hey, the first is to have that compassion and and to be sensitive to their conscience. And this is our last point. Paul is saying stronger believers should adjust to the weaker believers to help them not to fall back into sin, but move forward. That's really his point here. With this compassion, with this love, the stronger believers should adjust to the weaker believers to help them not fall back, like mess up their conscience conscience and their conviction at this time and they fall back into sin but move forward in the lord that's the responsibility that is love we're we're put it this way when spiritual knowledge is used in love the stronger christian can take the hand of the weaker christian and help him to stand and walk so as to enjoy his freedom in christ we're we're here to help yeah we're not here to well what's wrong with you yeah it's okay. I'm okay. Don't judge me. You know, no. The stronger believer should adjust to the weaker believer to help them not fall into sin, fall back into sin, but move forward. Let me ask you this morning are you standing your ground in your license and your liberties? Eh, hey, doesn't say in the Bible you can't drink. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And some use that line because it's an excuse. And you can see that. But then some people, yeah, they get, have a glass of wine, you know. But I would say this. Is someone watching you? Is someone looking at you? Is your own boy or your own girl, yeah? They're learning from you. What are you teaching them? They don't understand that. They don't understand. Maybe you can handle. But maybe when they become a teenager and it's put before them, oh yeah, I remember my dad having got swine. Well, I'm going to go get a beer with these guys and they can't handle it. What are you teaching them? Is the new believer thinking, wow, if he can, I can. I'll be okay. Yeah. Even though they had that problem with drugs or drinking or whatever that is. Yeah. Years ago, um, a, a neighbor of ours invited us to a Obon festival yeah, down in Paia. And, and all I could think about, and that this is what they're telling me, was the chow fun. <laughs> 
oh yeah, let's get chow fun. Oh, that sounds good, you know. Let's get the chow fun and all that. And, and so that's all I can think about. So we so we went down there and you know got some chow fun, was munching on it, and, and they're doing the, you know, <laughs> you know kind of thing and all that and everything. I thought, oh yeah, I remember when I was, when I was in Japan. Japan when my mother brought and we were visiting family and, and there was an Obon festival outside of the house and oh this bring back memories it's a little bit sentimental kind of thing and all that but you know it's Obon festival munching on good uh, chow fun and everything and also I ran into someone in a, in a church <laughs> and they're like oh hi hi Pastor Rick and then and then he goes, uh, I'm just here because I'm doing research for my, my school, my class. I had to come and do some research. Oh, yeah, okay. I go, oh, that's cool. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm child fun. But I didn't realize till later that afterwards that, oh, he was probably pretty surprised to see me there, yeah? Yeah, it's kind of worshiping your dead ancestors and all this stuff. And he's probably, and, and then I think maybe he was, felt guilty too because I saw him there, you know, kind of thing. But I didn't really think about that. I mean, it was no big deal for me. I, I just want to eat, you know. That's all I was thinking. I wasn't worshiping the dead or anything like that, you know. And I know the whole Buddha thing. I grew up with that. I know and it doesn't phase me, you know, whatever. You know, my mom was praying to the picture of my grandfather and the little fruit. You know, my, my grandmother had the, um, what do you call it? The little temple thing. Uh, I forgot. Anyway, but you, you know, I, I remember going to grandma's house and had the incense and all that, but it was no big deal. It's not like, ooh, there's a demon there. Ooh, ooh, I'm getting out of the house. You know, yeah, for me, I just wanted child fun. That's all. Yeah, good child fun it was too. But I'll tell you, when I thought about it later, I thought, you know what? What if that stumbled him? Yeah. What if there was someone struggling and they seem, oh, pastor can go, well, I'll go. But they're still kind of attached to the old Buddhist ways. Yeah? What if? So you know what? No more. No more. Hey, can you go buy chow fun for me over there? No, 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 no. Here's the thing as we come to a close, right? Do you hinder someone else's walk? Or are you helping them? Yeah. With the knowledge that God has given you. Whatever it is. And wherever you stay. Wherever your place in, in, in your walk with the Lord. And you feel it's not okay. Or you feel it's okay. We understand each other. We, we, we try and understand each other. Isn't it interesting? The one who has limits and restrictions. And a lot of legal legalists. You know. They're the weaker ones. Isn't that interesting? You would think they're the stronger ones. You think they're the, oh, they're holy because they have these restrictions. But Paul's saying that, saying it's different. But wherever you stay, do you build up or tear down with that knowledge? What are you doing with that? I'll close with this story. NFL Steeler quarterback Ben Roethlisberg. Roethlisberg. You should have heard me Wednesday night with all the names in the Old Testament. No, you shouldn't have heard me. Anyway, Big Ben, right? He was in a serious accident, motorcycle accident, 2006. He was hit in an intersection, went through. He, went, he was thrown off his bike, went through a windshield. Uh, in emergency, the surgeon spent more than seven hours repairing his broken jaw, skull, missing teeth, other facial injuries. The interesting thing is it was less than a year before that accident. In an interview, he was asked, why does he ride his motorcycle without a helmet? He said, 
because you don't have to. It's not the law. If it was the law, I would. But you're just more free when you're out there with no helmet on. That was, that was the start. Yeah, that's okay. Well, after the accident, and before I go on, if you ride a motorcycle without a helmet, I'm not judging you, okay? I love you, brother. It's okay. I love you, okay? Okay, don't take this story wrong. But, well, after the accident, Ben apologized, you know what, to his teammates, to his own family, and to the fans for taking unnecessary risks. And this is what he said. In the past few days, I've gained, I like this, a new perspective on life. By the grace of God, I'm fortunate to be alive. And he added, if I ever do ride a motorcycle again, it'll certainly be with a helmet. So he learned something through this, right? His focus was no long, eh, I'm free, I'm okay, yeah, on himself, his individual freedom. But now he thought about what? Others. Others. And that's, a, that, that's what I, I want to leave you guys with, right? And that's what Paul is saying here. It's not just about you, no matter if you feel like don't eat the meat or you feel like, nah, it's okay to eat the meat. Get a new perspective on this. Whether you're okay, whether you're not okay, what do we do? Love. Give love. So what do you choose? Do we hold to limit, license, or love? Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much, God, for speaking to us, Lord. And, and there are many issues out there, God, and, and we can talk one-on-one about it, but... Lord, in a basic sense, you are showing us today that the foundation has to be love. All our knowledge, all, our, all what you've shown us, even if the Holy Spirit is moving it with us, if we don't give that with love, it's nothing. I even think about later, you, uh, 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 Paul is leading up to 1 Corinthians 13, yeah? We can speak, uh, you know, with tongues of angels. We can, you know, blow the trumpet. We can do all this stuff. But if love isn't there, it's nothing. Help us to learn that today. Help us to have understanding and compassion for the other person. Help us to see where they are coming from, what their struggles are, what their convention, conviction or conscience is saying. Even right or wrong. Help us to help each other here, not judge each other, not put each other down, not think we're better or something wrong with them, but let us love like you love us. God, I think about how many times, oh, I thought something and I was so wrong, yet you were so patient, so loving, and you send loving people to me to help me learn to grow. Humble us, Lord, right now. Break the pride, Lord. May we come to you and to each other broken. Broken. Broken people who have been loved by God. And let us all help each other, encourage each other, build up each other. Let us stop hurting each other. Let us stop tearing down each other. Let us stop, stop being angry with each other. But let us love like you love. We give you our hearts right now. In Jesus' name, amen.